Welcome back to Choose Inclusion, everyone. Uh, this is Yubi here with Mike and Nina as well. How are you guys doing? Okay. Doing okay. We again? are. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, and, and when we're um, we're excited to actually have someone who's been on the show before back with us. My friend Alira Salman. Um, she is the director of innovation at the Mental Health Center of Denver. Um, so as you can imagine, you know, the mental health is, is, you know, obviously a big part of everything that's going on right now. Um, and so, uh, you know, welcome back, Aliris, first of all, and how are you doing? Thanks, Yubi. Hi, Nina. Hi, um, Mike. How are you guys doing today? Um, yes. I'm doing, you know what, it's interesting, these last few weeks between COVID and the murder of George Floyd has sent me into quite an introspective space and one where I have come to consciously realize that I am a Black person in America. Um, I'm, I'm starting to realize the impact of racial disparity. You know, you know about it, you hear about it as a Black person. I live it every day. It's just part of who I am and how I do things. But to see the reality of it um, in good and bad, it's is just been like, wow, this is heavy. And I realize that I'm weary and I'm tired, but still we move on. And that's how I'm approaching this, but that's how I am today. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Uh, um, identity, right? Like there's, I think there's a, maybe a huge question of everyone's identities right now um yeah i mean what yeah what what have you i guess what have you learned about who you are well you know sometimes you get into a certain point in your life where you feel rather comfortable you're you've you know how to navigate the world you know what some perceptions are of you as in my case as a black woman and you know how to navigate around those. And it's just how you do things all the time. But every once in a while, when you hear reports, for example, around COVID, um, you know, there's racial disparity in the, of, on the impact of the COVID-19 virus. And so when you think about it, it's like, okay, you know that that's a fact, there's racial disparity, but when it, when it the prime example is you or how you have, you talk to your friends who are African-American and they're like, oh, my family's been affected. I've had, you know, so-and-so impacted or hospitalized or has passed away because of it. And then you talk to your white friends and colleagues and they're four or five degrees away from, you know, that type of impact. And it's like, oh, wait, I'm in my, you know, in my group, I'm the only one who's been impacted. And what's the difference is that I'm Black. I've lost three people in three weeks time. And it's like, wow, okay, there's the racial disparity. When you don't think it's, you know it's about you, but you don't think it's about you till you really think about it and then it is about you. Those are the things that become stark realities. And I know some people have different realities that remind them every day. But for me, it's just like, oh, it's not just theoretical, it really is and you're one of those statistics. So that's where it, you know, it starts to hit you. And then 
you know, the murder of George Floyd, that is just everywhere and it's affecting everybody. And the opportunity that we have of that is now we have these conversations and those conversations are not easy because, you know, as a black person, I may have to say something that I'm not comfortable saying or don't want to say or been told not to talk about. And then a white person is trying to learn and getting into spaces that require difficult and challenging conversations. And so this is just a new space and it's tiring for everybody. It's just, it's, it's tiring and it's weighty, but I know it's for a good cause and we'll get to another side and it's gonna take time. And teaching everyone is a lot of work and a lot of energy when that's the role that you play. Yeah, so how have you been how have you been like taking care of your own mental health while this burden that everyone's put on you to educate them about their systemic racism? I mean, how have you how have you managed that? Well, you know, the other thing in in doing this is this is a learning journey for me too because I have to as, as much as I've learned to navigate and you you know, when you watch a different race and how they interact in the world, you've learned a lot about them, but there's still more to learn. So I also have to take it upon myself to educate myself about what's going on. So that de-stresses me a little because it's not all on me because everybody is learning and everyone is trying. Um, I talk to, I think what gives me energy and joy is helping um, create safe spaces for other black women. I have a black women in aerospace group and just to have them have a space to just talk because I know because they're usually the only ones in their organizations, they have that same burden. So having a place to go to talk about that for people who understand what it's like to be the, not only the only one, but the only one in that particular industry, which, um, you know, it can be a challenge. And one of um, my colleagues in that group is really challenged because her her organization has basically ignored the whole George Floyd thing. I have another friend, her organization has just um, basically ignored it and, and said nothing and assumes that other parts of the system will take care of whatever is going on out there and we're just going to continue our work like nothing's happened. So I enjoy um, talking and creating safe space with others. Uh, I also in those circles is like taking time to breathe and knowing it's okay to be it's okay to be vulnerable with that group. They let you be vulnerable without judgment and that takes off some of the burden too. It's like a shared a shared burden, burden, a place to breathe, and having lots of those conversations has really helped. And on the other hand, I mean, not to make it so heavy, is just enjoying people discovering something new because, you know, it is a horrible reason that we have that we're that we're starting this conversation again, is the key word. But to see people discover and enjoy Black culture in a different way has been really interesting to see and, and to see and to watch. And, and people have hope, it feels a little different this time that 
people are finally starting to understand what it is that institutional racism does when it gets to that that scene and what what are the what led to that moment you know and what led to the moment that set people off is because it's happened over and over again um, how do we make it different so so that's what i'm trying to do is just go to a space where i can breathe with others and then finding ways to be of service in in this situation What, what are uh, the, some of the responses that you've gotten? Because I know you, you, you're you've in positions where you're having to put out statements um, related to Black Lives Matter. Are, what are, are there differing responses that you're getting to those statements? We are. Um, so in one of my organizations, which is... Um, I, where I'm, I'm the chair of the board for this organization and we put out our Black Lives Matter and the board itself, I'm, the, I'm one of three African-Americans on this board. And when I first joined, I was the only one. There were a few in the organization as a whole, but um, I have been nothing but welcomed and supported. And what's interesting, the diversity that worried them more was my educational background <laughs> was very different than theirs. Um, not necessarily that I was a black woman, but they have been embraced and supported in that organization. And so, you know, when I wrote up and as the chair, I have, I felt the organization and the organization would have expected whoever sits in that chair position to do a statement on Black Lives Matter. What makes it different is that the chair of that organization now is a black woman, an African-American woman. So it puts a different weight and spin on the words that come out. So when I wrote up the statement, everyone was supportive of it. They were like, this is great. We're making a statement, sent it out and got positive response, except for one individual who felt that the statement, because you always start your, your, your position with the statement saying that a black man was murdered at the hands of a white police officer was unfair and not in the spirit of equality and perpetuated racism because I proceeded to say that the individual murdered the other individual. And so that the white police officer murdered George Floyd. And so I said basically that that's the, those are the facts. Now I wasn't there to judge the person. I know that I expect a a trial to happen to see because we all see murders we all see killings and then you go through the justice system and the justice system decides is it murder is it not is it something else is it justified etc but he felt that i should not have said murdered and i'm like i can't do that because he was and i do and i expect there to be a trial a fair trial for that individual regardless of how i feel that if this person is guilty or not. But the fact is I witnessed a murder and I'm not changing the statement. And um, he asked that I revise the statement and resend it out. I'm like, no, I'm not gonna do that. So thank you for that. I appreciate your position. Here's mine and the statement will stand. 
So it was, it was interesting to see his intent of not bringing race into the conversation or looking at equality. It should be like, no matter who it is, you shouldn't accuse them before they've been tried. And I'm like, well, they're still gonna get a trial. And that's where I came well, from. Yeah, yeah, well, and, yeah, I mean, and I think, I think that, you know, my opinion is that we, we can't, there's no more platitudes here. There's no more um, trying to, to soften this or sugarcoat any of this. Like it is what it is at this point. And I think, you know, I think leaders, I think people have to sort of make a stand here right now. Like it, it either is or it isn't. And the only way that things are gonna change is if we all sort of rise up, right? And, um, but it, we talked about this on another show earlier this week about kind of sort of the differences in generations, even amongst the black community themselves and how, you know, there was just this kind of assimilation aspect to living. Like just keep your head down, keep your mouth shut, get a job, take care of your family and that's it, right? And, you know, and I think there's, there's obviously generationally still a little bit of that going on, but what we're seeing now is, is like, we, we're not gonna do that anymore. We, we can't if we're gonna survive. Exactly, and there's the hopes and dreams of the civil rights generation that we have made progress and that progress has been um, and that progress was, was happening because people were able to get good jobs. People are able to support their families, but there's still more people who are left behind. Um, there's no matter what, where you go, um, socioeconomically as a person of color, you're still challenged. You're still questioned. It's those new, you know, the, the, the rules don't change for you just because you have a bigger paycheck or more important job. There's still discrimination. There's still, um, there's still microaggressions. People wondering, oh, you got there. You started on your pathway because of affirmative action or that's the only way that you could get in. Um, or if you're the only black person, you sometimes wonder that they only hire me because I was black and they needed to check a box. And am I welcome into that culture? Are they welcoming? And I've been fortunate to be in mostly welcoming um, communities. I know Mental Health Center of Denver has been wonderful. I mean, they're just like any other organization, they're challenged with this whole conversation themselves um, and having to have those tough conversations and opening up and people um, admitting their their white privilege or black people um, sharing their stories of microaggression and still wanting to know how do we help, how do we move forward? And we are gonna move forward. So it's that who you gotta sit in that space. And one of the terms we're using now is brave space to speak your truth and have your truth heard on both sides. How have you seen the conversation change in the mental health space overall since um, the thing, uh, you know, the events of the last few weeks? 
I think what's happening is that people, you know, and in the mental health space, we're there to help others. That's what we're doing. Um, we're also recognizing that people, you know, studies have shown that people feel more comfortable talking or being helped by someone of their own race. And when you don't have that ability to serve people in that way, you start to look at yourself, so what do we do? How did we get here? What are we going to do? Um, I think it's looking for ways to take our knowledge and meet people where they need to be met, just not where they are, but where they need to be met. As Black people, you want to have an African-American therapist. If you are um, Hispanic, you want to have, or Latinx, you want to have a Latinx therapist to talk to. And same with every culture. If you're an older individual, that's another thing you look at age. You want to have someone who can empathize with the aging process, who's going through that, who with you to be able to, to um, feel more comfortable in that situation. And so, you know, at Mental Health Center of Denver is like, where are we falling short and how do we fill that gap? And also recognizing that it takes time. So, you know, I think other organizations are looking at who they serve and saying, how do we serve them better? And then as an organization, how do we continue to serve and support the people who are providing the service? Because they're going through this trauma too. You know, they're realizing, um, you know, the impact of their white privilege. And so how do you, how do you manage and support them to do that? I think Mental Health Center of Denver is doing a great job. It's not easy. It's going to take time, but, you know, you have to look at yourself and say, okay, where, what am I doing in this space and how am I addressing it? Uh, we just yesterday did a march um, downtown Colfax. We had like three or 400 employees take their time out to do that. So they're showing it in different ways publicly and the direct people that they serve and also supporting the people who are doing the serving by opening the space to let them process what they need to. I mean, there's just so much work. <laughs> I, uh, I commend you and thank you. I mean, that's just, that's amazing. And, and you know, being willing to meet people where they're at, you know, I, it, it just still, it still sort of baffles me that, because uh, we've talked to a lot of people who are, you know, Black people in these, in, in, you know, these roles as therapists and trainers and things like that, who literally companies and friends and family and community members are like, hey, teach me how not to be racist <laughs> to you. Like, it's just, yeah. I mean, it just blows my mind, but I don't know, you know, this is, these are the steps we need to take, right? Right. And I think it's a new way of looking. It's a, it's a new way of looking at the lens. I think people are trying to say, okay, I never thought I was racist, but now look at the situation that's happened in this world. And with all my friends not being racist, somebody is you know, and what does racism yeah. look like? It doesn't look like just using the N-word out in public. It's little things that are, 
you know, the microaggressions that add up to a culture of racism and, oh, maybe I, I am a little racist um, and I have these biases that impact something else and you're blind to it because no one's there to check you. No one's there to say anything. No one, um, maybe you, you realize you look around and you have no friends of color. How did that happen? You know, are you purposely, you know, like if you live in downtown Denver and you find yourself not knowing another person of color, how does that happen? You know, hmm. and in Colorado in the workplace is just like, do you have a, a friend of color that you go to have coffee with? I'm not saying invite them to, you know, everyone's birthday party and high holiday, but do you have someone that you talk to that's of a different race? And if you don't, it's like, well, why not? You know, did you not reach out to that person to say hello or, you know, things like that? It's like, how, how does that happen? How do people who don't think they're racist end up in a racist society? And those are the things you have to start looking at because obviously it's still there where people thought it was gone. And I'm, you know, I look at that myself. I thought, I, I remember telling my mother, it's like, mom, you know, racism, that was in your generation. That's not happening now. And as I get older, I see what they were talking about and it makes me sad. And I was like, oh, okay, it still is there, you know, and you have to work that out. But that's what, that's the work that has to be done is understanding the impact of your behavior or non-behavior. Well, I think I, and I appreciate that. Um, I think, I think what, um, so when, when, when people think of racist, they think that they're, you know, wearing a robe, uh, representative of the KKK or, um, something like that. So they, 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 they like the term racist has a, a visual component to it. Right. And I think, and, and I think, you know, white people in general, they're like, well, gosh, you know, I'm not burning a cross and wearing a robe and, and doing all those kind of heinous things. So I'm not a racist. And I think the more um, literature that is out there, uh, again, uh, I'm currently reading me and white supremacy, but there's also white fragility and um, there's, there's, there's so many books out there right now um, that, that help um, identify those behaviors, those thoughts, or even the, um, again, what's described as the white silence. Um, so, because if you're not, if, if you're not actively attempting to um, dismantle the institutionalized uh, oppressions that happen to marginalized communities, um, then you're, you're actually, you know, part of the problem, which again, um, is racism. And so that's the you know, the, 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 having that idea that just because I'm not in a robe burning, burning a cross, I'm not a racist. Like that's, we got to get past that and start recognizing the tendencies of. Yeah. So Laris, what, what do you think are the, the next, like, where do you think we're going from here? Where do you think is like the world going from here? How can we make sure that this conversation doesn't just fade away like so many other times something gets top of mind in the media 
Yeah, that's a great question, Nina, because you always, I think this, the, that exact question has been asked at every riot point where this has happened before, because again, it's again. Um, I love what Denver put on the road under Black Lives Matter, and it says, remember this time. It's like you're going through this loop over and over. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people say that this feels different. Uh, I, because people are now, their eyes are opened to their own behavior. People are willing to be educated. Thank you, COVID, for giving us the time to let people stream and experience and take the time to actually do it. Um, that's one thing. And, I, and people are starting to understand, you know, like Mike said, what are the things, what does racism really look like? And what is my role in making that happen? So people have to educate themselves. They have to actually take the action to do something different. And what's challenging there is I think people are willing, but are they going to stick with it when they get when it gets hard? When, you know, you get into that first argument with a friend or family um, and you're in disagreement, are you willing to stand up? And those are the moments that are gonna push us forward, the more moments we have like that. And it's gonna be hard. Um, many marginalized communities have had moments like this and you have to depend on your allies. And that's another thing is, you know, as black people, it's like, I don't know what else to do. I've said what I've said and nobody is listening. And that's where as allies, white people and allies who are allies have to speak up and amplify the voice and stand up just like Mike said, because those are the little things that, are, that have to gain momentum in creating a culture of um, non-tolerance, creating a culture where you can speak up and you know, get called on and it's, it may not feel good. It may not, you know, make your day bright and shiny, shiny, but it will, you have to think of the greater good and what it's going to do and where it's going to move us over. And we also have to take the actions. You got to take political action. What are the things that cause the racism? Are the right people in office? Are you getting out and voting? You know, a lot of people get very jaded about voting in electoral college, it does my vote count. One place it does count is locally. And that's where you're going to feel the impact of systemic racism most acutely is where you live. So you should get out, educate yourself, vote and understand what you're voting for and the impacts. You know, um, you need an educated population to have an effective de democracy. And so everybody has to educate themselves and get out, vote locally, and um, make the changes close where they are, because that's what's going to, you know, uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. And that's what you need to do. I think that's where the biggest change is continuing that education process, continuing the way that everybody has to educate themselves and be willing to be vulnerable and and take the stuff that's going to come because it's not going to be pretty on an individual level and this is where it's really affecting people it's like yeah you have to face your stuff now here you go
And there's lots of tools out there too. Yeah, this is this, again, just another amazing conversation. Thank you, uh, Liris, for your vulnerability, for, for trusting us. You know, it's, it's always great to connect with you. And, and uh, I mean, Mike and I have been talking about this a lot lately, like just how much we're learning every day, just, just in having and listening to these conversations. And, and Nina and I were talking about, man, I, you know, we need to kind of pull some of this information together and figure out a way to, to, to share everything we've learned just in, in this special series. Um, because there are so many things in each episode that if you put them together, you know, I know people keep saying there's no playbook for this, but you know, I think we were, we're on a good path for, for starting to put something together that helps people do exactly what you just talked about, Alaris, which, and, and, cause right, it is, it's a reckoning, it's, it's an awakening and, and it, there is some hope. I mean, I think COVID sort of prepared us physically and mentally to, to sustain this fight that we not, that we now find ourselves in. And I think that's right. what needs to happen, right? It does. And you know, one thing I was uh, preparing for this and thinking about what is it that we need to do differently and what's going to affect change? And, you know, with Nina's question, you know, when you talk about we're trying to change people's minds and how they perceive others, right? And as a society, we're big consumers of Black culture, books, music, especially music and movies and stars. That's one place where Discrimination still exists, but people are willing to engage with it, you know, and one thing about the movement now is like supporting black businesses. And what I want to say about that is I definitely think we should. And also as people realize that supporting a black business doesn't mean I'm going to a black um, business owner to get a black thing like I'm going to go buy these African candles or whatever they perceive as black, or I'm gonna go buy this music or black books. There are, you know, black business owners who own businesses that are just like anybody else. And I think that's where a switch can happen. It's like, you have black business owners who own telecom companies, who own computer companies, who own, you know, marketing and, you know, uh, consulting firms that are businesses just like white business owners. And it's not that you're going there to find the black thing. You're just look, I hope what they come out of this experience is, oh, now I have choice. I don't have to, I mean, a black business owner doesn't just sell black stuff. I can patronize a black business because they had they may be the best person for this job and i'm going to consider them as um as a a competitor and a viable competitor for my business not just oh let me just check off a box and do this black business i think on an individual level there's other way there's ways to think about black businesses and how you perpetuate that and that's what brings up more equality as well is understanding that things aren't pigeonholed, we're there everywhere. Everybody is everywhere. 
Uh, that's a great point to leave on. It, it's, it's, we've got to get rid of this idea of like the token, uh, you know, Mike deals with that a lot, you know, with, with blind and visually impaired people or people with disabilities, but it, it's same, like we got to get rid of the idea of this token or, well, you know, we need to hire them just because they're minority owned. Like, no, we're all equal. We're all human. We're the same. And, and let, let's look at the the merits of the, the company or the product and the service. Let's not look at the skin color or the, the ability or lack of or whatever, like this token, this idea of tokenism. And, and then, you know, you go back to what Brene Brown talks about from, you know, with dehumanization, which that's really what this is all about. It's looking at people who are not white as less than in everything, which then makes it easier for all these systemic issues to have occurred ever since the beginning of America. Um, so yeah, I love that you said that, Alaris. That that's a really great fine point to end on because that's oh man. Again, I'm just learning so much, guys. So <laughs> thank you, Alaris. You're amazing. Thank, thank you, Alaris. Thank you, Mike. Oh well, thanks each of you for having me on again. I really appreciate it. It's always nice to have a good conversation. Of course, thank you. And thank you, everybody. Um, you know, we hope you have a, a good weekend. Keep up the fight. We'll be back with more Black Voices. Um, check out chooseinclusion.com for, for more on that. And again, just thank you all so much. Take care, everybody. Take care, everyone. Take care.